But now you all must put away all anger, wrath, wickedness, slander, and bad language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have stripped off the old self with its deeds. And you all have clothed yourselves with a new self, which is being made new in knowledge according to the image of its creator. There is no longer Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free. Rather, Christ is all and in all. Colossians 3, 8 through 11. My name is Jonah, my pronouns are they, them, theirs, and I, uh, I'm your lead pastor here. I was pausing because there actually was a second reading, but I, am, I almost texted the tech team this morning to be like, did you see that there were two readings? And I didn't. So let me pull that one up and I will share it with you. Let's see. It's from Genesis. It's great. All right, Genesis chapter 2, it says, The sovereign God crafted the human from the dust of the humus and breathed into its nostrils the breath of life. And the human became a living soul. And the sovereign God planted a garden in Eden in the east and there placed the human whom God had formed out of the ground, the sovereign God made grow every tree pleasant to the sight and good for food, and the tree of life in the middle of the garden, along with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The sovereign took the human, settled it into the garden of Eden to till and tend it. The sovereign God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the human and it slept, then took one of its sides and closed up the place with flesh in place of it. And the sovereign God built the side that had been taken from the human into a woman and brought her to the human. The word of God. Good morning again. My name is Jonah. My pronouns are they, them, theirs, and I'm the lead pastor here at Zao MKE Church. Today is the first Sunday of Lent. Lent is a season, a time of reflection. It's a time of preparation. It's a time of connecting with the processes of grief, remembering death. There are parallels to the end of winter and the beginning of spring. There is a sense of longing. And so we have this connection to Jesus in the desert for 40 days and 40 nights. And there is this kind of waiting, this release, this wondering when things will turn a corner. That is what the season of Lent is for. Anybody here think that it was for only eating fish fries on Fridays? I don't know how many of you have associations with Lent. Sometimes uh, folks think of it as just a Catholic thing or just something that's super, you know, like Wells Lutheran, right? Uh, just a little, little poll here for folks in the room. How many folks grew up 
with some sort of Lent practice, like this was a thing. All right, like a pretty decent number. That surprises me a little bit, given who I know is in the room. Um, so some of you have some kind of connection to Lent. Some of you may not really have a whole lot of associations with it, which is just fine. It's a part of the church calendar, which means that when we think of the seasons of the year, um, we also have seasons in the church. And seasons in the church are somewhat related to seasons of the year. So like I said, Lent is actually about the transition from winter, this kind of moment of like, can we take it anymore? <laughs> into the new life, the resurrection of Easter and spring. But the other aspect of the church calendar is about storytelling. What part of the story are we embodying, are we dwelling in? What part of our generational stories and truths are we most connected to in this moment collectively? And so this is the time of year where in preparation for um, the last week of Jesus' life, Good Friday, the cross, and then into resurrection on Easter Sunday, we connect to grief. Now, Lent is kicked off usually with Ash Wednesday. Um, and Ash Wednesday this year was a real big snowstorm in Milwaukee, and so many area churches, ourselves included, canceled their Ash Wednesday services. And I was actually, um, I, was, I was bummed when we decided to cancel, and then there was a conversation among our leadership saying, hey, you know, some churches are offering ashes on Sunday morning, and that got me excited, because I was like, okay, you know, I know there are a lot of people in our community who actually don't have a huge connection to Ash Wednesday, and maybe having it on a day that we collectively come together in this way, we could actually dive into it a little bit as a group, and maybe make some new meaning. Because one of the things that Emily mentioned is that we do not only learning here, but unlearning, relearning, right? And so for those of us who have no associations with Ash Wednesday, we might want to learn what that means. For those of us who have associations, we might need to unlearn some things. Um, we might need to let go of some of the things that aren't serving us about what that, that has meant to us. And then together, we collectively discern and understand what is Ash Wednesday here now to us in this moment and in this time. So ashes, that phrase, ash to ash and dust to dust, or um, from ashes to ashes, from dust to dust. That is a reference that has meant something for a long time, well before Ash Wednesday became a thing. It's in the Bible all over the place, these references to ashes. Now, being that my name is Jonah, I actually immediately think of the Jonah story because it takes, um, there's a pretty prominent use of ashes in the Jonah story. So Jonah is a prophet sent to the city of Nineveh saying, hey, you guys are oppressors and dominating people and um, using your power and privilege to cause harm and destruction and chaos, and you need to stop that. And because it's allegory, the people of Nineveh immediately go, you're right, we will do that, <laughs> um, which is how we know it's a myth. Um, too easy, too easy in the story. But the way that they demonstrate, the way that the people of, De of Nineveh demonstrate that they understand the harm that they've perpetrated, that they grieve it, and that they want to change, aka repent, is they, they, do, they do three things. They tear their clothing, they rend their clothing, 
they wear sackcloth and ashes. Now, when we talk about sin and repentance here at Zao, we try to be really specific. This is another thing that maybe requires a little bit of unlearning, relearning. Because sin is often used as a, as a cudgel against people. That uh, we just badger people and say, like, you've done wrong, you should feel guilty, that's what sin is. But when we zoom out and we talk about what sin means cosmically, what sin means to all of creation, the metaphor that I most resonate with is the idea of the whole cosmos, all of creation, everything that God made, made to be in harmony and connection. Righteousness is a word we see in the scriptures, and it doesn't mean being right, it means right relationship. And so, if right relationship is righteousness, if the state of all things is connection and flow, then sin is anything that tears the universe apart. Now, those can be little micro-tears inside yourself, something that disconnects you from your integrity or who you are. They can be tears in relationship, a harm that is caused between individuals. Or they can be huge cosmic gashes that happen through systems of oppression and evil. And either, where, whatever level, it's this same dynamic. It is the things that, that wound our relationship, that make right relationship impossible, that must be grieved and healed. And can only be, you know, we can only grieve and heal when we stop doing harm, right? So we have to stop doing harm, we have to grieve the harm, and we have to heal. That's how we come back into salvation, which is right relationship with all things. And so when, when I think about the nature and meaning of Ash Wednesday, and I think about that three-step process, I think about the tearing of the clothes as a symbol of, of sin, this separation between self and God, between self and neighbor, between self and self. This painful wounding. And so the people, in their repentance, they tear their clothes to symbolize that. And then they wear sackcloth because there is something so deeply itchy and uncomfortable about the way things are, right? That shows that kind of discomfort of living in a fallen, broken, wounded world. That that state of sin is not what we were made for, but we chafe against it every moment of every day. It symbolizes the pain and discomfort of being alive in a world of woundedness. So what are those ashes for? Now, Will Gaffney's lectionary, a woman's lectionary, um, with her translations here, has invited us on this Sunday, the first Sunday of Lent, to go back and to remember what those ashes are really a reference to. So why is dust, ash, the earth, a symbol of repentance? She takes us to the creation story. So here we have the first human the first human, Adam. The Adam literally means in Hebrew, earthling or earth person. It is one who is made out of the humus, which is to say the clay, the dirt, 
the, the substance of the earth. And then this earthling, this creature, is lonely. And so God says, you know, I've created this beautiful lush garden for you. I've, I've created this place for you to tend and to care. I've created this circumstances for you to be in right relationship with other parts of creation. And yet you are lonely. Let me create for you companionship. So God, uh, there's a, a bit we, we jumped over in the middle. God experiments and offers this earthling all kinds of creatures on land and in the sea and in the air. And none of them are quite the right fit. And so in the end, God says, you know what? You need to be, you need to be with someone who is so your equal that they are of you and with you. And so that is why God puts the earthling to sleep and takes the earthling apart and makes them into two. And that is how we get to the multitude of human beings, God building us out of one another, out of the earth. And that first human being, the Adam, who became Adam, the man, calls to Eve, the second human being, flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone, understanding at a very visceral level that this person with him was of him, that this person with him was made of the same humus, the same earth of all creation. And so when we think of ashes and we think of dust, we might as well think of dirt and the earth. There is something about the ashes that is a calling to remember who we are and how we were created. So am I saying that like we're dirt? <laughs> no, that would be a different church. That's some of the unlearning, right? I am not saying that we are dirt. I'm not saying that we are worthless. In fact, what I am saying is that we are made of that same substance, the earth, the dust, the ashes, the same substance that all creation is made of. Many of my colleagues like to talk about that dust as being stardust, because it is the same substance. We know this from science, right? Like this is elemental science. We know that the same substance and atoms that make up our bodies make up the sun and the moon and the stars and the whole of the cosmos. And so those ashes, that dust, remembering that we are dust is not remembering that we are dirt and that we are nothing and that we are worthless. It is remembering that we are created and that we are created of the same material substance as the stars sparkling in the sky. Now, it can be easy to forget this thing that is so fundamental to who we are, that we are made and formed, that we are connected at an atomic level to all things in creation, that we share that same sparkly beauty, that same potential for joy, that same interconnectedness as the whole of creation, as the stardust of the cosmos. In the first reading, we have an invitation, a call, a reminder of that truth. You all have clothed yourselves with a new self, which is being made new in the knowledge according to the image of its creator. This is a call to remember that we are marked with the image of God because we are made in the image of God. And so God didn't just take that stardust and slap it together. 
God imbued that stardust with the image of the divine that we all share. And the author goes on saying there's no, no longer Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, and on and on. Rather, Christ is all in all. Now this is really similar to another, I think, better known passage in Galatians. There's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male and female. And you'll note that, that change of words there, from nor and nor to and. Because Greek, Jew, slave, and free were all human-created identities. But God created in Genesis male and female and is now reminding us that even that is not actually a core, it, it is not the only core identity. Now the reason I'm stumbling over my words because I want to be really precise here is because this passage has been used to do an inordinate amount of damage to marginalized communities. That's not its intention, not in the least. But there are a lot of communities. I, I'll just speak from experience. I have been a part of communities. Um, usually the dynamic is majority white, uh, majority or only acceptable straight and cisgender and male-led. And it's very easy in those spaces for people with privilege and power to stand up and say, our only real identity is in Christ. Right? And there is a whitewashing that happens. There is a privilege washing that happens where then the only identity in the community that is given voice is that, that dominant identity of maleness, whiteness, straightness, cis, right? And so we have to be very careful because God, we know, cares about our particularities. One of the habits, one of the linguistic habits that we try and break here is no matter what or it doesn't matter. So you'll hear our MCs get up here and say every Sunday, the whole of you matters. Whether you are, uh, you know, one of our, our favorites, right, is whether you use he, him pronouns, she, her pronouns, or they, them pronouns, you matter here but we have to fight our own tongues not to say, it doesn't matter, you are loved. Do you hear the difference? It's not that your identities don't matter, it's that they do, and that all of that is included and celebrated in the community of God. It's not that it doesn't matter whether you are black, brown, indigenous, POC, uh, or white. It does matter and we are all one in Christ. And so we have to, anytime we engage these things, say, hey, there is no slave or free in Christ Jesus, but we still got to tear down those prisons, <laughs> right? We still have to end misogyny. We still have to dismantle white supremacy culture. So these passages are not saying that we can pretend that those particularities aren't real. Those passages are not saying that your unique and beautiful and powerful gender identity doesn't matter. On the contrary, it's saying that in all of those things, 
there is a common rootedness, an identity that is deeper and more foundational, an identity from which your queerness, your blackness, your uh, your creative artistic nature, your personality, all these things spring forth from a root, and that root is Christ. So Paul knows and is not trying to erase the differences or particularities, and we can know this as well with those references that Paul makes all the time to the body of Christ, where each piece is essential and no piece is exactly like the other, and none of us can say to the other, I have no need of you. We are all unique in our particularity. Jesus was unique in his particularity. God is a God of identity and substance. God is a God who breaks into a moment and says, I am brown, I am Palestinian, I am, uh, I am a peasant. I am here in this body, in this moment, and it matters. And, 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 and. And each and every one of those particular creations of God is made first and foremost of stardust and divinity and the breath of the Holy Spirit. And so our race, our gender, our sexual orientation, our abilities and disabilities, our neurodivergences, our privileges and experiences of oppression, they are real. They are profound and of deep importance to God. And they are all finite. They are all temporary. And this is what we are called to remember in the imposition of ashes. That our lives are short. Our lives are of infinite importance to God. And they are short. And that when everything else about our experience our pain, our joy, our identity, all of these things change with time or fade from memory or become blurred into something else. As a trans person, this is something I know really intimately. Transition is lifelong. Becoming oneself is a forever process. Every moment of that journey matters. Every moment of your identity matters. But it is always and ever in flux in yourself, in your relationships, in how the world receives and treats those identities. But throughout all of that, one thing remains clear and bright and true as ever about who you are. You are created in the image of the Most High God from the stardust that is the foundation of all things. It is in remembering that we are finite mortal creatures that we can remember that we come from the same substance as the stars. Our root identity is not socially constructed or culturally bound or in the service of oppression. It is our createdness made new, the scripture says, in the image of the creator, God's image in us. And so, as we begin this journey of Lent, as we encounter our need for resurrection, as we look at those tears 
in the universe and we chafe against the pain of a wounded creation as we sit in the discomfort of broken relationships and systems of harm, we also rest ever and always in those ashes, in the dust that made us, in the dust that God breathes life into. God chose you in this moment for this moment with your unique constellation of identities. And at the heart of it all, you are stardust, like everything and everyone else. And so when things feel like death, when the universe feels itself tearing apart at the seams, when tearing, rending your clothes seems appropriate to the level of pain you are experiencing in the world, when everything we touch feels like fire, we remember our source and who we are, that nothing can tear us all the way apart. Because God has made us at a substantive level stardust, earthlings, the created ones created in the image of God, flesh of one another's flesh, bone of one another's bone. And so we remember that we are stardust and we always will be. And in that way, we are never alone because stardust calls out to itself. Our createdness recognizes itself in the midst of all creation. The image of God on us sees the image of God in one another and we long to be made whole again. We seek to be made whole and we are promised that we will be made whole in the new life and the new resurrection that comes with the spring. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you for being with us in the difficult moments. We thank you for giving us the strength to look straight into the tears, the cracks in our world. God, we pray that in the midst of our discomfort, in our calling out, that you have honored God, that you would ground us in the knowledge of ourselves, that you would allow us to see one another that the stardust of our being will call out to the stardust of all creation and that we can participate, God, in moving through that pain, through that death, into new life in your love, your resurrection, and your promise of eternity. In your name we pray. Amen.